0: Good morning, Grace. I'm going to say what a joy it is to worship with you all this Sunday. If we haven't met, my name is Chris Reed. I serve as one of the pastors for uh, Reform University Fellowship at Howard University in Washington, D.C. Uh, I just want to say thank you, church, for your generosity towards the ministry of RUF, not just for Howard, uh, but you have been a great blessing to RUF throughout um, the country. If you'd love to hear more about um, our service of Reaching Students for Christ and equipping them to serve, would love to speak to you after the service. But before we look at our passage in 1 John, will you pray with me uh, once more? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to gather under your word. God, I ask that you would calm our hearts this morning, that you would help us to hear um, what your spirit is saying through the Apostle John. Lord, I ask that you would encourage the discouraged, that you would mend broken hearts, and that you would point us forward in your son, Jesus. We love you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. There's a story told of a mother who one winter was watching her two sons going up and down the hill on a sled, and she was upset to see that her younger boy was never riding. So she went and scolded her older son, John, you shouldn't always keep everything for yourself. I've told you before to share everything with your brother. Let him play with the sled at least half the time. But I have been, John replied. I take the sled down the hill and I let him pull it up. (laughs) In church, I share this story with you because... What this mother seeks to push her boys towards is a beautiful reality that we have as Christians, and that's fellowship. Fellowship is a rich term in the Christian faith that speaks to the sharing of life that takes place between us, the Lord, and one another. It's the type of union that's more than a relationship, but is deep and vital for the Christian faith. Friends, know this. You were created by God for fellowship with him. For the good news of the Christian faith is that you and I were made by God to glorify and enjoy him, to be with him. However, in choosing to go our own way in sin, we broke that union with him. But out of his great love for you and me, when the fullness of time had come, he sent forth on the cross his own son to reconcile us back to himself. Jesus died that day, was buried in a nearby tomb. Friday, when he died, it was a sad day. Saturday, all hope was lost. But it was early on the third day that breath came back into his lungs and strength returned to his muscles. And he got up from the grave with all power and ascended to sit at God's right hand. And through faith in what Christ has done, you and I can now have communion, loving fellowship with the Creator again. But it begs the question, how how can we maintain true fellowship with God now that we're saved? What does it look like to have real fellowship with the Lord? Well, surely this is the question John the writer addresses in his letter. John is an apostle of the Lord Jesus, and an eyewitness who walked with Jesus during his earthly ministry, who is now sent to tell the world about the one he's seen and heard. Remember, this is John who wrote his own gospel account. He penned the book of Revelation, but he writes this letter to a troubled church who has experienced chaos in their community. False teachers have crept in misleading the church in its beliefs and behavior, and their falsehood about who Jesus is has left the congregation confused since this new teaching is not the gospel truth they had been taught from the beginning. So John, as a loving pastor, writes to the believers who remain correcting them in truth so that they would pursue true fellowship with God and the apostles. Thus the question remains, how do we maintain true fellowship with God this new year? How can you and I have genuine fellowship with our Savior? John teaches us from this text that we maintain fellowship with God and one another when we live in the light as God is in the light. In our passage today, John shows you and me the blessings of living our whole lives in God's light. And he begins by telling us we should live in the light because it reflects the character of our great God. God's character is the foundation for a Christian's lifestyle. John opens in verse five this is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Here at the beginning, John speaks of a message that is of prime importance, a message he has been called to communicate to the Christian community. This message is not made up by John or a message of John's own human wisdom or creativity, but it has apostolic authority. John says that this message, he heard from the Lord himself. This is a message that Christ has called John to deliver to the people of God. And here's the message. God is light and in him is no darkness at all. God is light. John's message is about the nature, the character of the living God. Our God, the one we glorify and magnify this Sunday, he is light, pure and simple. Notice John does not merely say that God has light or that he gives light, which he does, but John says that God is light. At the core of God's being, he is light. When we reflect on who God is, he's light. This description of God has deep roots in the Old Testament. Remember, at the opening of creation, when darkness was over the face of the deep, what did God say? Let there be light, and there was light for the earth. In Exodus, as Israel traveled out of slavery in Egypt, God led them by a pillar of fire to give them light. In Psalm 27, King David spoke of God, proclaiming, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? This Christmas, a few days ago, we recalled Isaiah's prophecy where he spoke concerning the sun. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. And in 1 Peter, the testimony of every believer in the sanctuary this morning is that we have been called out of darkness into God's marvelous light. God is light. He is holy, right, just, good, clothed in beauty, glory, and majesty. He's flawless and perfect. And God is security, assurance, joy, and everlasting peace. And notice the contrast. In him is no darkness at all. Not an ounce of darkness in who God is. There is no evil in God, no impure motives, no partiality, no error. But everything God does is in the light. God illuminates the path of those who are in darkness. He reveals the way to salvation in his son Jesus. Therefore, If you find yourself in a dark place this morning, look to God because he is your light. If you're uncertain about a decision, unclear on which direction, turn to the Lord for he will guide you by his light. If you're battling sin and suffering, unable to continue in your own strength, open your heart and let God's light shine through. Because in a fallen world where darkness is very much a reality, We see darkness in our communities, darkness in our own hearts, darkness in the wider world. May we be reminded that God is still able to be light in any dark situation. Has he done it for you this year? When you've been in a dark season, has God brought light into your life? Has he lightened up your path? Has he brightened up your soul? God is light that no person nor anything can cast out, but he outshines and he outlasts. And John gives this message as the foundation for Christian living. Who God is determines who you and I are to be like. God's nature is the basis for our behavior. For right knowledge of God leads to right conduct in God's church. But since God is light, how should we respond to him in our relationship with him? John continues by telling us, we should live in the light because only in the light do we have true bonds with God and one another. John persuades you and me to choose true fellowship in place of false followership. Verses 6 and 7, if we say we have fellowship with God while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Remember, John's purpose in writing this entire letter is to promote true fellowship between Christians and God. The term fellowship means to have a close association, shared participation, a lasting bond. And John goes on to give a series of if clauses, hypothetical statements to illustrate the difference between false fellowship and true fellowship. He starts with the counterfeit, if you see, false fellowship with God. If we say we have fellowship with God while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Look at what John is describing. John imagines a person claiming to be close to God while at the same time living a life that is inconsistent with the character of God. Claiming to have fellowship with the Lord while walking in darkness, sin, unrighteousness, unholiness, living apart from his word, his desires and guidance. Now surely, as people who by God's spirit are being renewed each day to look more like Christ, there are moments, whether we've been at grace for two weeks or 20 years, that our lives are still impacted by sin. We still struggle. But what John speaks of in this text is continual, ongoing action. For the verb walk paints the picture of habitual conduct, ongoing walking in darkness. John is talking about one's lifestyle being characterized by darkness. And the reason he points out this attitude is to correct the false teaching that's affected the community. These false teachers denied that sin impacted our relationship with the Lord, they believed a Christian could have real intimacy with Christ without living the Christian life, claiming to be morally upright, though not obeying Christ's teachings. Therefore, John, knowing this falsehood might harm his people, cautions them, saying, this is not fellowship with God at all. But if we claim to be close to God, yet continue to practice sin, we lie and do not practice the truth. We, we don't live in accord with the good news of the gospel that we've received. God is light he wants us to remain in his light. Jesus says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. In essence, it is tempting for you and me to lead a small group, tell our neighbors about the grace of God, boasting about our service at the church, believing that we're close to him while not truly living the life that he's called us to. There was a prosperous young businessman who met, fell in love, and was frequently seen around town with a young woman who was very respectable and dignified. He wanted to marry her, but being a cautious man, he decided that before proposing, he should have a private investigating agency check her background and present activities. After all, he told himself, I have a growing fortune and my reputation to protect against the marital mess. The report said, that the woman indeed had an unblemished past, a spotless reputation, and that her friends and coworkers all loved her. Her only problem, however, is that she was often seen around town with a young businessman of skeptical business practices and principles. (laughs) Friends, I bring it up because you can easily get into the rhythm of ministry, of preaching against the sins out there while overlooking the sins that you commit daily. What sins might we easy, easily overlook in God's church? Could it be our gossiping about others instead of speaking to people directly? Might it be our worship of earthly success and security? Could it be the impure content we digest on our phones throughout the week? Maybe it's the anger and harshness we show outside the church, at home, in our friend groups, Or maybe excluding each other instead of embracing one another. Friends, let us us not claim to have fellowship with God while we walk in darkness. John says this is not the way. But the good news is there is a way. John goes on to contrast false fellowship with true fellowship with God. And this is to walk in the light as God is in the light. Friends, this is what we are called to. We ought to live where God is in his light to let his character transform our lives, reflecting his beauty and goodness. Remember, he's called us out of darkness into his light. Thus, the the way to true fellowship is to continually keep on walking around in the light of God, to live by the teachings of Jesus, to conform your speech, your worldview, your actions to the heart of the gospel. When you're with your church community, walk in the light. When you're amongst your friends and family, walk in the light. When you're behind closed doors, walk in the light. And the blessing of walking in the light with God is not only do we have fellowship with him, but John says that it results in fellowship with each other. When you live all of life in God's light, following Jesus, obeying his word, your your relationships in the church are strengthened and more enjoyable. It is when you and I walk in God's light that we're most impactful as the church, loving one another, living in holiness, devoting ourselves to prayer and the preaching of his word. Even during tough seasons, when we walk in the light, we're better at loving and serving those in our midst. But along with fellowship with one another is a second benefit. The blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. Again, the times we hide our sins from others, secretly living in darkness. We harm others, we hurt our souls, and diminish our ability to minister. But when we live in the light, daily bringing ourselves to Jesus, he cleanses us from all sin. As one scholar points out, in the light we aren't exposed. But the light of Jesus makes the dark blemishes of our souls disappear. In the light, God removes our sin. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Truly, walking in the light as God is in the light makes fellowship with him and one another possible. But you might wonder, does does walking in the light, Chris, does that mean Christian perfection? Well, John knows that there is another way to walk in darkness, and that is denying the truth about the dark parts of our lives. Therefore, John moves, saying that we live in the light when we admit the times that we stray from God's light. There is beauty in truly admitting our faults instead of claiming to be faultless. He says in verse 7, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. What a verse. And the truth is not in us. Remember, John just proclaimed that we walk in, when we walk in God's light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood cleanses us from all sin. Nevertheless, a possible response to John is well, what if I don't need my sin to be cleansed? What if I'm free of sin? Thus John responds, if we say we have no sin, that's deception and the truth is not in us. Because to claim we have no sin is essentially a denial of the Christian truth. The truth is all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Or for those reformed folks, the Westminster Shorter Catechism reads, no mere human since the fall is able in this life perfectly to keep the commandments of God, but daily breaks them in thought, word, and deed. Remember, since Adam sinned by eating that forbidden fruit in the garden, every human from his seed has been corrupted by sin through and through. Therefore, we might claim to have no sin, but to do so is to deny our need for the second Adam, the better Adam, who is fully righteous on our behalf, the Lord Jesus. To profess that we are sinless is desiring to justify ourselves, before a holy and righteous God, cutting ourselves off from the free grace offered to us in the Gospel. John says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, we mislead ourselves, believing we are innocent when we're not. And the truth is not in us, the truth is scripture that we're sinners in need of a savior. When we deny our sin, we deny our need for Christ our Redeemer. One day, a little girl decided to cut her own hair while her mom was gone from the house. And as you'd expect, it was a terrible haircut. When her mom got home, she was horrified to see her child. The little girl said, but mommy, how did you know I hid all the hair very carefully in the wastebasket? Friends, we can say we've done no wrong. We can even try to hide what we've done. But God who sees all, He's seen the sins we've committed, and it hurts our fellowship with him. But God, who loves us, he's provided the way forward for fellowship with him. He gives the cure. Instead of denying your sin, John encourages you and me to own up to it, to confess. And here is the gospel of Christ. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Prussian King Frederick the Great was once touring a Berlin prison, and the prisoners fell on their knees before him to proclaim their innocence, except for one man who remained silent. Frederick called to him, Why are you here? Armed robbery, Your Majesty, was the reply. And are you guilty? Yes, indeed, Your Majesty, I deserve my punishment. Frederick then summoned the jailer and ordered him, release this guilty wretch at once. I will not have him kept in this prison where he will corrupt all the fine innocent people who occupy it. Friends, this is the beautiful paradox of the Christian faith. It's not the one who holds to their innocence, but the one who admits their offense who gets to go home free. In Luke 18, it's not the Pharisee at the temple boasting in his own righteousness who is forgiven, but the tax collector who cries, God, be merciful to me, a sinner, who goes home justified. Friends, when we confess, admitting our wrongdoing before God, we receive his grace and we are drawn closer to himself. When we lay our sins before him, we're forgiven and cleansed of every sin. This is the call of the Christian life, to bring your sin into the light. Proverbs writes this way, people who conceal their sins will not prosper, but if they confess and turn from them, they will receive mercy. To confess your sins to God is not to tell him anything he doesn't already know. Until you confess them, however, they are the abyss between you. But when you confess them, they become the bridge. This is why we just confessed in our worship service this morning. For few things accelerate the way to peace as much as humbly admitting our faults and asking for forgiveness. When we keep our sin in the dark, refusing to confess the wrong we've committed, we feel the ache in our souls, don't we? But when we confess, we are healed. You ask, Chris, how can I be assured that there will be blessing in my confession, again, the nature of our loving God? God is faithful and just, John says, to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Remember, God was faithful to forgive Jonah when he fled the call to go to Nineveh and preach. God was faithful to forgive David when he committed adultery, deception, and killed Uriah. God was faithful to forgive Peter when three times he denied knowing his Lord. God was faithful to forgive Paul after he persecuted the Christian church. And because of the once-for-all sacrifice of our all-sufficient Savior, you can be certain that God will be faithful to forgive you as well. We can be sure of God's forgiveness because of his character. He is faithful and just to show mercy on those who seek him. Though he doesn't stop at pardoning us, but when we confess, he cleanses us from all unrighteousness. He removes our impurity and stains. As someone who is a messy eater, I am surprised I wore this white shirt today we know we need our stains to be cleansed, and Christ is faithful to do so. Is there anyone in the church who knows, I I need to be washed of all my sins? Maybe you're here today, you look at your life in the last year, and you know the trouble sin has caused. You see the way your own desires and mistakes have hurt those you love and your own life. You've kept the sin concealed and and carry the weight of the sin on your shoulders. Friends, I've been there after I've gone against God's word or mistreated those around me. I I feel the heaviness of my sin. I feel the regret. But can I tell you in those moments, 1 John 1, 9 is an anchor for the soul. The times we're overwhelmed by guilt. We've got to open our Bible to this verse that says, when we confess our sins, when we bring it to the light instead of hiding it, Jesus is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us. He doesn't push me away as a sinner, but brings me in close as a son. After all, didn't he give his life so that we could be forgiven? Therefore, I'm reminded, I don't have to try to be a perfect Christian, but I can rest upon the finished work of Christ. My Lord, who was perfect for me, the one who is truly righteous, the Jesus who is the savior and sustainer of the soul. So I want to encourage you this year when you mess up, Jesus will be faithful to forgive you, too. God loves you. Confess your sins to him in your devotional time. Make confession of sin a daily practice between you and God. May your small groups, your grace groups, be safe places for each of you to confess your sins to one another and pray for the healing touch of Christ. When those around you fall, your spouse or your children, your neighbors after they feel ashamed, after they've lost their temper, are insecure about relational failure, say the wrong thing in Bible study or or work an obscene amount neglecting their own rest. You get to be the one to share that Jesus will be faithful to forgive them too. Just as he forgave you, may we confess our sins to the Lord, for he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us. And as I close this morning, you know how preachers say, I'm closing. All right, this is a real close. (laughs) Friends, this morning, we remember that our God is light. He is light, pure and simple. He gives light. He shines brighter than anything or anyone And he has called you and I to live in his light. Will you walk in the light as God is in the light? For you enjoy loving fellowship with God and one another when you walk in the light. And when you're in the light, you're able to usher outsiders into the same light that you've been given. You can be a church who invites guests to partake of the fellowship that you share with our amazing God. May you have true fellowship with God today and this new year. Amen. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for this passage in 1 John, showing that through the blood of Jesus, we have true fellowship with you, God. I ask that we would pursue true fellowship with you this new year, living in the light, confessing our sin when we fall short, and striving to, to live according to your gospel. God, I ask that you would encourage us forward as we approach your table. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.